Hello, and welcome to Just Keep Writing While Black. A podcast for writers by writers to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Brent. And I'm Jen. Welcome to the show. We're back. Yes, we're back. <laughs> it's been a while since we've done one of these, but um, I'm very happy that the first one we're doing this year is with Jen Brown. Um, if you follow my Twitter at all, you know that Jen Brown is one of my favorite writers in science fiction and fantasy right now. And, you know, I don't say that lightly, like anything she puts out, I am consuming it almost immediately. And I also had the pleasure of um, editing one of her flash fictions in the Brief Fire anthology that we did with Tor. And I loved it so much. So it's just, yeah, so much good work. And I'm excited for the chance to introduce her to our listeners. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm just excited for this. Thank you, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is awesome. And I'm just going to I'm going to throw it out there because it has been a minute since we've done this. Um, we are going to do um, this is the first of four. We're going to do four. one. Yeah, we're going to do four episodes this month, an episode a week uh, for Black History Month in February. And what better way to celebrate that is to do four back to back. Just keep writing while black episodes. Um, I'm super excited to talk with you guys, um, especially after some of the stuff I've been dealing with in my local community. I can't even tell you how nice it is just to be around black folks and 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 have a conversation. So I don't know what's on the docket. I'm going to throw that over to, to Brent. Uh, yeah. He'll start he'll start whatever we're talking about. But I'm just happy to have you, Jen. So welcome to the show. And uh, I'm excited to be doing this. Yeah, no. So um, one of the reasons I was really, really excited about bringing Jen on is because um, Marshall is a high school teacher and Jen actually is a librarian. So I was super excited about both of you having these um, educational backgrounds. And I wanted to give y'all a chance to kind of chat and maybe, you know, discover some commonalities and things that play into how working in that field affects your writing and, you know, what kind of, yeah. So that's, so that's what I wanted to talk about first. So, I guess just to kind of get it started, like if Jen, you want to tell us, like, what do you do in terms of like the education field? Yes, absolutely. Um, thank you both, first of all. And Marshall, when you were like, oh, goodness, it's such a, a joy to be with other black folks. I literally had a moment in my mind of, yes, that that higher education academia feel of there aren't enough Black folks in higher ed. And so I feel that in this moment, just being able to be in conversation with y'all. So thank you for saying it because I'm feeling it. (laughs) Um, And so, yes, as Brent said, I am a librarian. Um, I'm I'm, so most people think librarians are like, you know, reading books all day and just chilling behind a desk. And I can't really blame people for thinking that because of the perception in media. Um, But of course, what we actually do and what I really do is I help people find stuff. I mean, that's basically all librarians are doing all day is we're helping you find a book that you want or we're helping you figure out. For In my case, I work in higher education, so I'm helping college students figure out what kind of paper they need to use to do their research or, right. you know, if they're studying um you know, uh, 20th century fiction, um, you know, what 
is the angle they need to use to approach their paper based on the topic. And so it's a lot of like teaching people literally how to like click through websites and be like, <laughs> okay, so this is <laughs> this is a database <laughs> and this is how you click through to get to the advanced search. And even though it is, um, I don't know, I... It's not rocket science, but it's it's something there's something very joyous for me about getting to work with undergraduates and especially to demystify the academy because goodness knows it's not transparent at any stage, but especially in some of these um, primarily white institutions that is where I work. It is there is a historical legacy of you know, genocide, um, forced removal of indigenous lands, colonization. I mean, all of that is baked into the academy. And then you're coming into the library just to like do a paper, but you're also looking at these marble busts of white Mm -hmm. male figures who, I mean, just literally, you know, eugenicists, essentially, like we just had a movement on my campus to rename two buildings that were named after eugenicists. So it's, it's like a lot. And so there's something special for me when I get to work with students, but especially students of color, because I'm like, you belong here. This this building is for you. This research is for you. Your voice matters in the scholarship. So and I can only imagine, Marshall, like how doing that at the high school level or working with high school students has its challenges and rewards. So like I just, yeah, I'm feeling you on just the the wildness <laughs> of education, the joy of it, but also the wildness of it. Yeah. I look, I love what I do. I love teaching students. I have amazing connections still with former graduates um from a decade ago, you know. Mm. Uh, but uh, I can count, I mean, it's under a dozen to 15 black students I've ever taught, right? Yes. Um, and I teach at a very rural coastal community that is built on genocide, on mm-hmm. the removal of the, you know, the Native Americans that were here first. And that is a that is something that I've been doing nothing but dealing with in my community lately. So that really rang true when you said that. I was just like, oh, Yeah. I, I've been on a committee to rename the town because it's named after a Confederate wow. general, right? Yes. Um, we just had a presentation last night. I'm coming off the back end of this year and a half long work, and it's it's tough. Uh, we had a um, – I'll go back to the students here in a second, but yesterday we had a black man come in. Um, he's been working with the staff for a while, the middle school and the high school, and he's, he – and this is like – we're, we're addressing bias and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and when we split off, he kind of organized us in however we wanted to identify. Right. And the non-white people on the two mm-hmm. sites, the middle school and the high school that identified as non-white, there were six of us Jeez. and I am the only black guy. The other black guy isn't getting hired again, unfortunately. So it's really interesting the way things kind of play out in this little community. And it's tough to support the students that I love and 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 that I feel like need to see. I mean, over half our campus is, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic or brown people. Yeah. And 95% of the staff is not. And it's really, um, it's really interesting. So I don't know. And trying to help have these conversations when you get this pushback from this very white and uh, privileged community, they're like, how dare you teach, you know, talk about racism in, in the classroom. It's yes. like, uh, why would I not 
talk of like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Are you that insecure about, about how you feel? And, and you could see that pushback in that meeting yesterday of just like, well, I don't, you know, I've had struggles too. It's like, yeah, but you've also never one moment had to deal with discrimination on any level. So that's mm-hmm. a privilege. I'm sorry, regardless of how much money you had, that's class. We can put that aside, but you never, and we'll never have to deal with this one thing. Right. So, right. So I ranted a little bit there, but I mean, that's, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yes. <laughs> that's what I wanted to hear. I wanted to get both of your experiences because it kind of leads into my next question. So, um, obviously you both are having to deal with like pushback in terms of trying to educate people in, in like the truths of this country and, you know, hard truths, but they're still truths. And I think we all see some of this similarities in terms of science fiction and fantasy when it comes to trying to create worlds that sometimes deal with hard truths. So I guess my next question for Jen, I'll bounce to you too, Marshall. Sure, is, sure, sure. Uh, how do you feel, um, how do you use your stories as vehicles for education? Oh, I love that. You know, I, I think that for me, because so much relies on the perspective, that that's always the first stop for me. Like, who am I following? Who who is the reader following? What where are we rooting this perspective? Um, how is that perspective? How is that character's perspective racialized? Um, what is their class standing? What are the things that they are living through? Um, and then the world feels like it unfolds around that. Because if I start with, for example, you know, I wrote um, a novelette with uh, a young character that was trying to get into this prestigious college for mages and she wanted to join their hair program, but she descended from sharecroppers. Um, and I was playing with traditions of um, inheritance and the lack of land that real African-American folks didn't, you know, had stripped from us or our our four families had stripped from them and that carried down through generations. And I had a moment of being like, well, I know this is fantasy, but I'm allowed to like infuse that legacy, right? Because I literally have stories of my grandfather farming in Georgia on land that until very recently was held by someone else. And it took someone digging through records to be like, actually, this is this is this is this family's land, not yours. Like I was thinking about the traditions of how even the real things that we are going through deserve to be shown in fantasy and woven in. Um, and the ways that we already do things are are magical in some ways. Like I loved getting to write that hair story because so much of the magic of what we can do with black hair, of how we style it, how we protect it. Like I think. I guess part of it is choosing the perspective and then also finding the magic in the way that we are already living in this world. Because I'm also not somebody, you know, my stories don't always like I bring up the real, but I also want there to be hope. And I'm going to be that I'm going to be that cheesy author who's like, you are going to get some kind of a hopeful ending with whatever I write. I, I, I got to have it because I need hope. So finding the magic and the hope in us as a collective is it feels like is a part of my work. Things are always dark. Racism has always existed. And yet we still find ways to thrive. We still find joy in community, in cookouts, in food. 
Like we find ways to thrive even when the system is very much about stamping us out. And like, what kind of writer would I be if I didn't bring that into my work? So I I think for me, it's always about starting with the person and then unfolding the world around them and using my family stories, my own my own hopes, my own loves about Black culture and being an essence and getting to weave that all in. I don't know. I hope I'm doing well, you know, but that's always the hope as I start with a piece. So that I think you, that's, you yeah. Are. You are. <laughs> Thank you, are you doing Ray. very well. Very well. Oh, I wish I had read that hair story. I'm looking at my, I got my dreads here. I'm like, I wish, <laughs> yes. I, I, wish I wish I had read that hair story before I met you. Oh, I can't wait. You uh, will love it. You're going to love it, actually. Oh, I can't wait. I cannot no. wait. Uh yeah, I don't know. Okay, so I'm not a published author um, as far as fiction goes, but my thing is, I'm always I always feel like I'm trying to tell a black story and black experience within what I'm writing, and I'm not I, I'm not saying all my stuff's gonna have a happy ending because it kind of doesn't. But uh, one of the one of the bigger stories I'm working on is what, and the and the short kind of premise of it is what if humanity had to rely on an all black military force to save the world, right? With all of the current issues that we have in our society, really. Right. And so that's kind of what I'm playing with. Um, and I, I'm having a lot of fun with it and, you know, but at the same time, I want to be able to, um, write fantasy sci-fi, um, and that kind of thing and and be able to infuse the experience within that and the frustrations that I've had and the and the and the the roadblocks, right? Like, you know, there are certain things that and I literally just had this conversation today, especially in a bureaucracy uh, at this in a school system level of why am I still after almost 14 years in this district, why am I still asking to be able to teach what I want to teach? Why is this white teacher who has not been there as long as I have set going in tears to my, to my admin and being like, I don't want to teach this anymore. And that affects my schedule. How is that still a thing? But it's last name, it's privilege. It's these people are established here. And after, you know, they've, they have land, they own half the town. Right. And so I keep kind of ranting on my local community here, but at the same time, like, I, I want to be able to tell stories like that as well um, because I've experienced that, right? So, yeah. Yes. Can I build off of something, Marcia? Yes. Oh, please, please. I, I really, I love the part where you, I mean, your work talking about this all black military. And I, I feel like I'm keying in on that because um, I am working on a novel draft. It's real slow. It's like the <laughs> slowest molasses. But <laughs> what I'm, what I'm, decided to give myself permission to do was tell a story with a completely black cast. And it is wild the amount of freedom when my characters are not necessarily related to or, you know, adjacent to whiteness as a concept, as an identity, the ways I'm able to explore complicated things they're living through, their relationships, their desires, their fears. Like I just... It is so freeing, and that's what I love. I think about the speculative genre is I'm I'm able to do that unapologetically, and not because I'm trying to teach a white reader or a non-black reader generally something about my culture or to you know 
I don't, I'm not here for the didacticness of the work. Like, I just want to write Black people having a good time yeah. and dealing with some scary stuff or stressful stuff that isn't always about um, our subjugation in relation to whiteness. That is in and of itself a kind of fantasy. And I kind of, there are times I struggle. I feel like I deal with this guilt of like, but should I? But then I'm like, nah, bump that. Life is really short. And like my writing is, you know, I have to be able to to get the joy out of it. So I just, I love that you framed out um, that you have this all black element to your work, because I think that I've heard other writers talk about this before. And I feel this very much in my soul that it took me a little while to get to a place where I was like, no, you have permission to just write all black stories. You have permission to write and not feel like you have to have it mean something else or have others in the world. I mean, you can, but I just like, I don't know. It just, it freed up something in my craft that is, it feels like now I can allow my characters to exist fully in a way that I, like I can never exist because I can't escape whiteness. Like it's just a part of my day, daily lived experience. Nope. So <laughs> it's just been, it's been an interesting experiment to like play with this book and, and have characters who are stratified for different reasons, the types of magic they use, their class standing, uh, the people they're in love with, the enemies they have, the revenge plots they're coming up with. Like, I'm just like, oh, yes, give me, I, I get to be all juicy with all the things <laughs> that I, <laughs> that I love to read. Um, and I never get to see enough black people just doing that in a yeah. book. I, I think that's why I gravitate towards your work so much, though, because like that's what I like to write. And that's what I like to, you know, try to build. Like I want to write black characters who are just black and and they're mm -hmm. there and they're having fun. Like I want to ride a dragon. Can I ride a dragon? Why does it have to be racism attached to it? Like does it have to be a white dragon? Like can I just ride the dragon? Like why is God, you know, <laughs> And, and and I love your work because I feel like it does that. It's just like, these people are just black. Look, we're not getting into all this other stuff. They're just black. They're in this fantasy world and they're going to have an adventure and it's going to be fun and you're going to enjoy it. And I don't need the racism necessarily attached to it. And I, that's one of the reasons I love your work. Um, and I had a thought too, Marshall, when you were talking about the all black military force. Mm -hmm. I've never said this to you before, but I really... It just clicked for me, and it, and it, it, there's a reason that story has always interested me. It makes me think a lot about the Buffalo Soldiers mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. they were, you know, all black military force that unfortunately was used as this like arm of destruction by you know a white supremacist government. But I, it just yeah, that just clicked for me. So I was like, I just gotta say it now. But um, yeah. So okay, so. It's just since you brought it, I was like, you know, let's just get to some fun questions. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So tell us, um, what was your favorite story that you have ever had published and why? Ooh. Oh, wow. I'm going to put it in the show notes too. <laughs> <laughs> favorite story ever. Okay. I know it's Ooh. hard because you write such good ones. Well, I, I don't know about that. They all seem kind of raggedy sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and I appreciate you. Well, okay. So, uh, this can I pick two? <laughs> you can pick two. Okay. I'm going to yeah. pick one super short and one that's just a short story length. Because okay. that's mostly what I've done anyway. Okay. So, I did, um, I wrote a piece called Bandit Reaper... Uh, yours uh, in baffling 
Um, I think it was like the issue right after Brent's issue, maybe. I yeah, think we yeah, were like back was... to back. Yes. Yes. So that is in Baffling Mag from last year. And I love that piece because it is everything I want to do. Everything I spelled out just about what I love doing. And Brent was like, this is why I love your work. That's That piece feels like it encapsulates it. It is just... Um, a woman who's been, who is an assassin, who has gotten her orders to um, take out her girlfriend because she is stealing gossip information that is a part of this assassin trade network that she's not supposed to be messing with. And the two of them just sort of stroll off into the sunset together. Like it is just a flash piece that's like, here's these two women with very with opposite polar wants that get their, that get their happy ending. And that is <laughs> that is pretty much like, I, even though it's not like a particularly like, like it's not, it wasn't made to reckon with anything deep, but it just, it fulfilled me like getting to see these two complicated women with the things that they wanted and the, the, the conflicts that they had butting up against each other. It was only 1200 words. So it's like quick, fast, in a hurry. But like, I, I don't know. I just really love that piece. It and was then so the, well, you had me at assassin. I can't wait. I'm finding uh, everything you talk about. I'm finding. I, I, oh, thank it's, you. It's, I'm going to fall down the, the Jim Brown rabbit hole after this for sure. I can't wait. <laughs> I will make fans. I will make fans happen. <laughs> you said you had two though. Yeah. Yes. The other one is one that came out in Anathema. And that was the one. It took me a year to write this piece, but it is called To Rise Blown Open. And it is a superhero story about a character that is living through after the remnants of a traumatic incident with a former friend, um, another super villain um, who essentially like bombed this woman from the inside out. And she cannot use her powers in the same way that she used to. I wrote, it took me so long to write it because I live with chronic pain. And so this idea of what do you do when your body doesn't work the way it used to, you cannot do anything to make it work. The mentors, your communities, your loved ones cannot help you because they haven't been through this thing. Um, and so even though I'm, it, I'm not comparing myself directly to the character, she's not me. It, there was something cathartic about writing her processing, her rage, her sorrow, her grief over losing what felt like a part of herself and having to discover something new. And I'm not like, you know, I just, I really felt like I, like that piece, I tangled my heart up in it. And it, that's why it took me so long to write and to figure out how to do it. And she has this emotional core of partners who hold her through all that. Cause I really love the idea that like nobody should have to suffer alone. Like whether that's your chosen family, your lovers, your friends, your confidants, um, your co-conspirators, whatever you call your people, like we need people to get through some things. Sometimes we got to step away, but sometimes we need people. And so it just, it's one of the, it's like my only story that I would say ends kind of sadly, because it's like, it's not a perfect happy ending, but there's hope in it. And I just, I really, I'm proud of that piece. Um, it was hard for me to write. I pushed through and um, I think it's like my second favorite of an actual short story length that I wrote, because it's got some meat to it. Can you give yeah. me the title one more time? Yes. To Rise Blown Open in Anathema Magazine. Got it. it was good. And it was good. Yes, I read that too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I am dead serious, people. When I say whatever Jen puts out, I'm immediately like, click. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. Bandit Reaper Yours. Like, I love that story because 
I'm trying to think of a good metaphor to describe it. So it's like eating like one of those dark chocolate covered almonds. It's really, it's really dense, but it's really good and you want more. And that's how I felt about that story. And um, Jen's being humble here, but the thing they do with Baffling Mag is that um, the artist that they bring on basically reads through the flash fiction pieces and they pick their favorite one to draw a cover of. And Jen's was the one, the cover for that particular uh, issue. So you not only get to read the flash fiction piece, you get to see the characters illustrated, which was really cool. That's awesome. That's true. That and the art is like gorgeous. It's still beautiful. like my laptop background, my phone background. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Yeah. I, I saw it and I was like, "Oh my god, Jen, this is so cool." I'm so glad. You, I'm so glad they picked your story. I knew they would, but I'm so glad they did anyway. So, okay. So my next question is: um, I know you, in your work you you describe like fashion yes. very well, and and so. This is something I want to talk about because, you know, I think fashion is something big for black people in general. Like fashion yes. is one of our cultural staples. So how do you feel like you use fashion and how does it intersect with blackness in your work? Brent, you got me vibrating in my chair. right? Like I'm literally I want to like float into the stratosphere with how excited I am. But you <laughs> asked a fashion question because I, I literally... <laughs> I'm a scholar of you your work. You know me. I'm a scholar of your work. So you I know. know me so well. And I, yeah, I just, yes. I, y'all, I have like, so at times thought like, I kind of want to like run a little like fashion newsletter. I don't want to talk about myself or what I'm doing or what I'm writing. I just want to write like what shows, what the, like the costumes and the latest shows and series. So yes, I am a massive fashion nerd. I love the way that couture functions. I love the idea of clothing as art, as a part of our expressive selves. And just like Brent was saying, like black fashion is out of this, like we are constantly setting the trend. We are constantly making things that get picked up and then they get a different name when it gets mm-hmm. on the cover of Vogue or on the cover of, you know, Vanity Fair. But it started with us. Like we are always doing it. Like whether we're talking footwear, hairstyles, jackets, bags, look at Telfar. Like literally we <laughs> we just, we do that. We do the damn thing constantly. So for me with fashion in a story, and I kind of like, I've been like trying to balance this because sometimes I go too, ex- I get too excited. I'd be like, ooh, and they were like, and there was a rich, like creamy blouse with ruffles and the color of persimmon. And it's like, okay, see this too many words. Like people going to be like, look, what's, what's the, where's the plot though? Like I know <laughs> what they're wearing, but what are they doing? <laughs> so, so I have to try to like rein myself in because I can get excited about the details. But I am always, when I'm thinking of a character, or thinking of a world, I'm constantly thinking, what what are those people wearing? And not just as like a utilitarian, like it's cold outside, they must be wearing jackets, or it's warm outside, they must have short sleeves. Like, what is the significance of the clothing? So like this novel idea I'm playing with, there are two like separate cities within a city, and they dress very differently in each part. There's a certain fabric that is constructed in the other part of the city because it ties into the way they use magic. They need to be able to remove certain parts of their clothing, like 
parts of their arms or their sleeve pads or whatever to be able to manipulate the magic they manipulate. In a different part of the city where they don't use the same kind of magic, their clothes have a much stiffer and they're often described as kind of like almost like heavy, like a weighty thing. Like one side needs to be flowy and free and airy and light for movement, while the other side puts a lot more emphasis on heavy, austere, kind of like Oh, no, ostentatious, actually, fabrics, mm. like really bold prints because they're not doing anything with it except being seen while these other folks are actually like, no, this is functional. And we may have color, a color palette to it, but like there's a reason that our clothing is a robe and that it opens this way and it flows this way. So like I try to balance the the idea of what are the what are the ways people dress? What does that say about different people? I have characters that literally when they move through different parts of the city, they wear different things because the way you stick out can be a good thing in some areas and a not good thing if we're talking about police presence and the way they're paying attention to you, what you're wearing, how you're looking. Like it all kind of connects. And that's what I love about clothing. And there's something so, I feel like so much gets communicated in what a character chooses to wear when and where they wear it, what they take off and remove, and how certain things function style-wise. Because I got to a scene the other night where my character wears these gloves, these metal chain-link gloves to like weigh down her finger bones. There's a reason for that because it's mm. a magic system. But they're actually like she was able to like shank somebody with them <laughs> in a different <laughs> scene. And I was like, oh, yes, because she needs to be able to do that for story reasons I won't say. Uh, but like <laughs> it's the clothing has so many uses and it's actually been useful as a story and plot device as well. So I just I, I need to like rein myself in because I'm already going like all over the place with this question. Oh, no, <laughs> I love it. I have a follow up. Fascinated. I was like... <laughs> Uh, first of all, I want to read that, but also, can I ask you a follow-up question? Because you mentioned TV shows, and I have yes. a, a double-sided question. What's a TV show that you feel like got the clothing right for the right mm. reasons, and a one that you th feel like got it wrong? Are we recently, oh, and I'm, the reason it. I'm asking this question, I'm sorry to cut you off. The, the reason I'm asking this question is I'm taking graduate-level classes, and we literally just had a lecture last week about clothing and who... and what you describe and some people feel like they're wearing nothing. So like, I totally get that when you're writing. Right. But yeah. like when you have that visual, when you're watching TV, I watch a lot of TV. So back to the question, right and wrong. What do you think? So I love this question. So I think, you know, when I think about shows or media that got it right, and it's, this is kind of like, it's, I don't feel like it's cheating, but it feels unfair because they got it so right that I don't know if anyone else can top it. But I really love, and it's not a show, but I love how Dune did the costumes. I mm. felt as, like, I was ready to fall asleep through most of the movie, but I, every time, like, Lady Jessica came out in a dress that exemplified her status in that moment, her emotion, like the flowing silk number with the external bodice of chains as they were entering the desert. Yeah. Like if those costume designers don't win an Oscar for the portrayal of like those space witches, I don't even know all the names of the different factions and I've never <laughs> read Dune, but the costumes alone were just so good. Okay. It just communicated so much about each character and the status, which was impressive considering there were a lot of different things they had to balance. Um, and I give like... If I had to go TV, I probably would give a, a like a plus 
to The Witcher. I think uh. in terms of fantasy, um, what they've done with some of Yen's outfits, what they did with her outfits last season were very impressive, especially as someone clawing for power. I love I me a power-hungry woman. Like, I just... That's my recipe for like instant, I'm about to be hooked. Um, so I loved her wardrobe. And then this season, um, they did a really great job with Frangela's wardrobe, getting to see more of her in Ilfgaard. Yeah. Okay. And then a show that did it wrong or didn't do, that kind of missed the mark. I'm trying to think of a genre show. Hmm. Okay, this is kind of shady because it's it's new and they're trying. I give them <laughs> I give them some props for the story, but I was disappointed by the Wheel of Times outfits. Yeah, I thought it was a wonderful show. Like I liked other yeah. things about it, but it just felt so basic, so bland. And there, you know, I just I thought, you know, you you cannot have Rosamund Pike in this and have her. There were just so few outfits where I even felt like I understood that it, from a visual standpoint, that it was communicating her character. She's a dope actress, so she mm-hmm. communicated a lot as an as an actor. But yeah, the costumes didn't wow me in that show. And then let's let you know, I always kind of feel it's a little bit lazy to pull from existing cultures without having some of that culture rooted in the show. Like there were clearly Romani influences for the yeah. Tinkers. And it was like, are any of these actors Romani? Are are we acknowledging that this is what we're doing? Or did we just gonna go, we just gonna go with it and there's not gonna be any I don't know. And it it's it felt very Romani in the in the stereotypical sense. Like I don't yeah. even know if that's what actual Romani culturists would be wearing, but that's clearly what they were pulling from. So I'm like, mm-hmm. do the research and do it right, or don't do it at all. Or take it as an opportunity to mix some things. Like if they're tinkerers, why don't I see them with bits of metal yeah. or bits of like <laughs> like a like a horizon zero dawn almost kind of aesthetic where you have machinery mixed with some other things like y'all they could have done something they could have been more imaginative yeah yeah for sure i, I 100% think the only, agree with that <laughs> yeah i think the only costume i liked on that show was um the flames uh the flame like when she was on the throne yeah yes you right <laughs> yeah. yeah that's the only one i was like feeling that about but the rest like even i don't know yeah i totally agree with you that show was that it was a good Decent enough story, but it just wasn't like in terms of visuals, it wasn't really giving me what I needed. Yes. Yes. Okay. So to continue with the fashion bit, because I feel like I'm terrible at describing (laughs) fashions for characters. So I feel like mine's are never like as lively and as colorful as yours. So what advice would you give to like writers who feel like they aren't so great at like describing what their characters are wearing or like building fashion into the world. Yes. Okay. So first I would tell folks to like figure out, I guess, figure out what your favorite aesthetics are. Cause there's so many different kinds of fashion aesthetics. Like Vogue is a specific one, but you can follow, you know, street fashion. If you want to see more of a, like a casual vibe mixed with sneakers or puffer jackets or, you know, certain kinds of hats. If you want to go the more couture route, there's a lot of things and ways you can do that. But like, think about what you love about clothes. And if that is, you love a relaxed fit, if you love, you know, things that are eclectic, 
finding like naming that can help because I, I feel like if you just research, if you just like Google fashion, it's just going to come up with a million things. And it's sort of <laughs> like, well, I don't know if I like this or that. Um, and there's different I'm pretty sure there's like lists where you can see the 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 specific terms or names for fashion styles or categories if anybody okay. needs help. And then I would say so I do two things myself. One, I do look through like actual runway things because I'm I'm into a mix of like I want it to be casual and functional, but I do like the flair. So I will look at runway um, highlights either on Vogue or another website. I follow fashion bloggers on mm. Insta and other places so I can actually see fashion as it's lived in and the ways that people move in them because there's often lots of really good clips of people walking in their fashion um, or just posing differently than you're going to see on like a runway or even a photo shoot. So like find fashion bloggers and really don't do like, I again, slight shade. I was going to say no shade, but slight shade. Don't do like the skinny, like, you know, I'm just here to like look cute in the the basic like white girl, you know, beige <laughs> pumpkin spice mm. outfits. Like find, I mean, basically if you can find queer and trans and gender nonconforming fashion bloggers, especially black fashion bloggers in those categories, then do it. Because I feel like their fashion is just, it hits different. Like mm-hmm. we, we hit different when we get dressed than like the Instagram folks who are just putting on something that everybody else is buying. They're going to actually find pieces that are interesting. And don't be afraid to like play with even looking at, you know, vintage things and like seeing how someone takes an old piece and remixes or reimagines it. And then the last thing I'll say is looking at clothes is helpful, but I find that to write it, I need to know how people move in clothing. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll Mm -hmm. just actually pull up YouTube clips of, like actors I love in shows or scenes and I'll, I'll have it muted, but I'll just watch how they move. Does the shirt wrinkle in a certain way when they take a step? Um, you know what I, does, does it feel like their clothing is billowing or does it feel like the clothing is stiff as they move? Like I try to get a sense for how the things actually work when they're on a person. And I think that's like a quick way I've done if I need to understand like body language and the fun, like the actual movement of the clothing as they're as they're going this is, that is so helpful it's fascinating <laughs> this is blowing me away because i i actually attempted this one time and I, I and we were talking off mic before this about cyberpunk uh brent and i mm. you know a little bit ago and i wrote this cyberpunk piece uh short story and i was kind of going for that kind of you know suit couture kind of thing i just but i could not for the life of me figure out how to do what you said, you know, like how are they moving in this? So this assassin is in this suit. How is that working? Right. But then you watch something like cowboy bebop. Right. And it's like, okay, well dude's in a suit. He's kicking ass, but like function and flow. And how do you describe that? Like, um, that's a, that's a tool set that, um, I think a lot of us really need to, uh, need to figure out because you want to see your characters, like you said, flowing and moving through the space of, through the words. And I think that's, I think that's again, a tool, a tool that any of us need to have in our tool, in our toolbox for sure. 
So yeah, I, I'm for sure going to be coming back to this episode at some point <laughs> to re-listen to it when I need help on figuring out how to describe things. Because <laughs> I think sometimes it's easy to get stuck into basic descriptions and really yes. like mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way you do it in your stories is like you bring such like life and color and you do it in such a way where I don't feel like it doesn't feel like purple prose. It just feels like mm. this lush and cool and the world feels like well thought out and, you know, lived in. So, yeah, that that's I, I, I mostly ask that question for me. But, you know, I'm sure it's helping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's helping other people out there for sure. So. um, OK, so outside of fashion, because I know that's like one of your favorite things. Um. What else, what would you think in terms of like world building? What would be, actually, I'll make it like this. What are your top five things that you like to world build when you're creating your, these magical worlds that I love so much? Yes. Okay. I love thinking about like neighborhood or city layouts. It's very weird, but I'll actually whip out pieces of paper and I'll think like, well, what is in a neighborhood and what sort of districts or areas are there and how is the trade or the thing that that neighborhood or city focuses on? How does it shape the local economy? So like if I'm writing a seaside city, um, you know, is it, it, are they advanced enough to have certain types of ships and that they're trading, you know, imports and exports with places near and far. And so they have all sorts of things, or is it more that it's a smaller, um, enterprise focused on like, I don't know, offshore mining of something or fishing, local fishery cultures. Um, so just like thinking about like the actual layout of what's on a block or what's on a street. Cause I tend to think I tend to move towards more slightly urban-y settings. Um, so yeah, thinking about like, well, what would be in this neighborhood and what kind of food stall is there? Like, I love that almost kind of mundane part. And it doesn't always like show up in the work because it's not like my characters are always rocking around the world. But like, I need to see where I need to see them and where they're moving around to like get a real strong sense of where they are. So like the layout of the city that I, the principal city I'm writing in, I love building that out. I really also love building currency systems, probably because I hate capitalism and I'm like, why do you do this? (laughs) It's awful. Do we not have any other options? So I love like researching. um, And this is where I think being a librarian is awesome because like I know how to do pretty decent research. So I feel like I can find some things fast, but like, the way that we trade and what we trade. Like there was a whole book on just like the value of salt. And I think at Mm -hmm. one point how the ability to trade, like just bartering and exchanging of goods and like how would that affect a society or like what do they pay with? Like in the hair story, they pay for some things with like precious stones because why not? Um, Everything doesn't have to be paper money. That's a very like Western concept. And sometimes it makes sense, but other times there might be more local resources that are more valuable and that then can have like a cultural story, like connection. Like if these characters don't not only trade something just for the value of saying, well, this rock is worth one penny or something, but it's actually, I trade like the stones that my grandfather collected down by the sea. And that's how we denote value is like the things we've been passed down by loved ones. We can trade that. Like there's fun things I feel like I can do if I like shake up how people trade stuff. 
Um, I guess like the third world building thing I love is I love music and I love thinking about like what kind of music happens and how would a magic system that I'm making like tie into it. So like I have a super small section in this novel draft where my character is walking around and there are um, beatboxers who are using, um, there's a certain magical celestial thing happening that amplifies their ability to do something. And so just like making it a part of the culture that like, they're just like ciphering like on the corner and it's they're able to do it faster or able to do it in this artistic way because of the magic that's happening in the world. Um, and the ways that people make music and listen to music, like are they listening to it on a phonograph? Are they, is it live music most of the place? Is it like, like what are people, is it a percussion-y kind of thing? Like is the culture one where drums are more used or is it something that's like, light and airy like wind instruments like a flute or something and like maybe it's multiple but like is there a reason why or is it more dominant in this one area that this is how music is made versus someplace else so i love i love thinking about like maybe music and art too like what are people making cuz like we all don't just live to work people do things out of the love of it and like what are the unique things that people can be making in a world i'm building and then I guess the fourth thing is kind of like boring because this is like, I guess I sort of do this, but I like thinking about education, like how people learn, <laughs> like what, yeah. what are the schools like, what is the system of learning? Um, and is there, is it equal? Like, are there way, it, it's usually not, <laughs> but like asking myself that question to understand how it's not and, and why it's not in this world is helpful. And maybe the last one I think like it's weird, but I like I get really into transit. Like I'm I'm really into like thinking about like, you know, I love the steampunkiness of airships mm. or like, I don't know, are people riding around like submarines? Like I just I like the idea of like taking a usual transit system and like kind of twisting it around so that as characters are moving through the world, it's done in a in an interesting way. Cause I really struggle with the passage of time in story. <laughs> Which is probably why some of my stories is like everything happens now. And it's like boom, boom, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Scene, 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 scene. It was all like back to back. Cause when I have to write characters like going from location A to B, sometimes I'm like, are they just walking? Are they like, <laughs> what are what are they <laughs> are they getting on a bus? Is it a horse? Like, right. what is it? And I think if I can find a fun way to do it. Because fantasy, like, I feel like, you know, horses are fun, but, like, that is that is the fantasy trope. You get your trusty steed and you, yeah. like, even though horses are, like, really wild and have you have to do a lot to take care of them. And, like, it was a lot of research. I was like, I think I just want them to hop on a train, <laughs> like, like yeah, a, a yeah. high-speed, like, sky rail or something, something different. Yeah. Um, so I like thinking about, like, how do people get around. That's fun. No, uh, I, I like that. Because you made me think of... Um, so I'm weird about transit. Like I'm trying to come up with like what what can I do to make people get somewhere fast? Because I don't want to sit here and have to think about horses galloping and like dragons and going. So you know, and the one um the the one thing that I uh, finished, I like had floating crystals. Like hop in this crystal, fly somewhere. Yes, like, oh, I, love I that. loved yeah. that. 
Yeah. Because I was like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to deal with this, uh, thinking about it too much. Like it moves fast, it gets places. Like, don't worry yes. about it. <laughs> well, otherwise you're saddling horses, you're figuring out how to ride them, you gotta feed them. Right. You gotta yes. you gotta you gotta make sure they don't get stolen. It's a whole thing, and you don't, you know, <laughs> it's a whole thing. Yeah, so. it's a whole thing. So <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I guess um I want to ask both of y'all this next one. Since you mentioned research, mm. how do y'all as educators, what um what advice would you give to writers like as they're starting a new project and they need to do research? How should they approach that research? Yes, that's so a almost big one. First Marshall, <laughs> yeah, um, shoot. So, okay, I'm going to use a, a very recent example of mine. Um, and this has to do with the classes I'm taking. Uh, the last thing we did last week we had to do with historical um, westerns right? Like talking about Westerns historically, right? So, and what kind of story would I write? I know I want to, I would love to write a black Western at some point. I, I, for some reason, there's something about, and going back to clothing, like how badass is, you know, a gunslinging black dude. Like, I don't know if you guys seen the heart of they fall. I've been trying to get Brent to watch the heart of they fall. That shit's amazing. Uh, Yeah, I got to, you gotta watch it. You got to watch it. But anyway, um, so the way I approached it was, okay, how do I find a black story that happened in the West? Like that is, you know, it's post-slavery. You got this thing. So I leaned on my friends and one of my friends said, Hey, I stumbled across this, uh, this all black settlement in Kansas mm. in, in 1877. And it's like, wait, What? And there's still a building there. There's still a history of it there. And these people left Kentucky and had and and had to trek there and started an all black settlement in the Wild West. And for me, it's like I don't know how to approach research outside of Googling, but also asking my friends, like, do you know anything about this thing? Like, have you ever heard anything about this thing? And then falling down the rabbit hole this place is called it's called nicodemus it's badass it's amazing and i want to write that story at some point but like how do i approach research is and 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 again going to the place this is something i was talking about with with some of my people in my writing community too if i'm writing a scene or writing a story and that takes place in a place can i physically go to that place do I know someone that has physically gone to that place, right? Um, or can I talk to somebody that um, knows something about it? So outside of just sitting on the internet, like being in that physical location, like I wrote a scene in the story I was telling you guys about earlier with the military force is there's a scene that takes place in downtown Sacramento outside of a, the cathedral. I knew the cathedral existed. I had been down there before. I happened to go down there for a teacher conference. And I was like, I screw these this whole thing because this whole conference sucks. I'm going to go walk around. I'm going to grab a couple beverages and I'm going to walk around downtown Sacramento. And I stood outside that cathedral and looked at that location. And for me, I just took some notes and it was having that visual and being in that place helped me write that scene much better. So I don't know if I answered your question, but no, that was great. You know, be there and ask people and, and then, and then fall down the Google hole. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. That was exactly what I was thinking. Yes. And I love that you said that because 
I li- we literally when we teach information literacy classes, we talk about like scholarship as community. Like ask people, do you know about this thing? Have you read about this? Do you know any books on this topic? Because you might, you never know. They might. And then that saves you like hours potentially of yeah. like trying to find something when you don't even know the language. Because I think that's the key thing for me when it comes to research, especially for writing any kind of story is like, understanding that the way like human language is wild we use so many terms to describe different things and you could be looking for something on um, using one word that you commonly use all the time this is not a good example but like if you're searching for heart articles on heart attacks or something because you're doing research on like a magic medical system um, you would get actually more results possibly using the medical language for that term because the practicing doctors who are writing about that they discuss it as like a pulmonary embolism or something. I forget the exact term, but like we use language really differently depending on like expert communities writing about research versus the researchers who are trying to find stuff. So like you may not know the language to use, but a friend could be like, oh, that's called this. Or like like the name, like Marshall was saying, the name of that town is this. If you don't know mm-hmm. the name of that town, it might be a harder search. So like, yes, I think leaning on your communities and then research is a rabbit hole. Like I try not to fall down it too deeply myself, even though I love to. There are times where I have to be like, all right, what is productive versus like what's just kind of something I'm doing just so I don't got to write this story. Like it's, you know, sometimes it's like cute to keep trying to uncover a new thing or a new, um, you know, writing on something. But like sometimes I just need to write and then I can deal with that research that I need when I need it. I get to the scene and they're about to pay for something and I'm like, huh, what's the currency? Okay, now let me go down the currency rabbit hole instead of trying to front load it. So I think I would say like piecemeal your research out, like start with the most important things that your character needs to know at the beginning or that you need to know to write it. And then like take the rest as it comes. And it's okay to just put a bracket like you know, what is it, TK or something? The thing yeah. that's like, okay, I'll put, I'll come back to this. Like, you don't have to have all the answers right away. And then my last thing is talk to your librarians. You'd be surprised at, if you're, even if you're not at a campus, public librarians actually have, or all libraries have a department that allows them to try to get books for you from other libraries, even if they don't own it. So like if you find a great history book that you need like one chapter from, you might be able to go to your public library and say, can I get this book? And we have reciprocal lending relationships. They can contact a library. If you're in California and there's a library in New York that has what you need, they can try to get it for you. You can't always do it, but you'd be surprised at you know the connections we might be able to get for you if you just ask. So, like, librarians are not just at the desk reading books. Like, we're here to answer questions and to support (laughs) your research. You should make use of us because most folks at least have one library branch at least somewhere near them. So, chances are there's a librarian or just library staff at the desk that can at least tell you whether they can do a thing. And I love Uh, love what you said, too, about, like, don't let the research become part of your procrastination. And I think that's a big part of it. Like there's productivity and there's procrastination, right? It's like, man, I'm really into this story and I've been researching for a month. All right. So when are you going to write the story? Right. Um, So I like, I like that you said that. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's cool. 
I, I, I love both your answers. I swear I'm coming back to this episode for <laughs> so much information. Like, because I'm in the process of trying to um, write another novel and like I'm having these points where I'm having to stop and be like, I actually don't know the answer to that. Let me figure that out. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, so, yeah. Yeah. So I love I love everything I've been saying. Um, OK, one more fun question and then I'll do the final question so we can so I won't hold you here all night. Um, <laughs> all right. Fun question for both of y'all, because I feel like I've been getting Marshall talking about his writing tonight and I absolutely love it. So, OK, what are your dream projects? Like if, if you're not working on it now, what is it? And you can just you can either like you could like just say the genre and like give a quick synopsis or you can go in depth up to you. Uh, all right. Can I, can I have two sort of? Yeah, sure. Okay. Not? Whatever. Uh, yeah. So, um, part of me wants to, the, the piece I was talking about earlier is part of a dream project, just a black, a black story, military story, like I was talking about, but ultimately I, I, I was talking about, I really want to write a black Western that's in the back of my head, but really I want to write a, Somehow, I don't know what this even looks like at this point because I've written a fantasy novel or fantasy novel and a half before, but I want to write a black fantasy. And I don't know what that looks like yet, but at the same time, that's that's my dream project. A, a, a epic, a black epic fantasy. I'm here for it. Like, I mean, and I think it's good that you have at least the, the notion of it because, you know, the, I, I think... The ideas, the ideas for it will come as yeah. you continue yeah. to put words down, consume, and you know, bring. I mean, in I've like- written a version of it, but it's not. Mm. It's not what it should be. Well, not what I envision it should be. If that makes sense, it's yeah, it's no, more of a sure. fantasy and not a black fantasy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that's yeah, that I makes sense. I don't even like know if it makes sense. No, I got a couple of Trump things that like were like that. <laughs> so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, Jen, what about you? I'm also going to cheat and say two things. Hey, I mean, I, 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 I might have said three, Jen. Oh, I don't know. I'm not even for me. This is, like a, this is like a candy shop. I'm like, just tell me everything. Yes. Well, so I do feel lucky because the novel I'm working on, I'd say it is a dream project. It is in the world of Bandit Reaper, yours. So it's like, I loved that. I loved writing that. That was my one of my favorite pieces. So like getting to write a whole novel where I get to play in that world is fun. But I am also super hungry. I don't know what it is, but I am like craving um, black sci-fi. I am craving, I have what is not quite a space opera, but a, a, like a, a black woman who uses dark matter to like sift through, like crest the stars and fly around and do things. And her base is in a primordial black hole. Like I just, okay. I just have this okay. idea. It's, it's a novella. Brent, you're going to laugh maybe. Cause it's, it's that novella that I was telling you about, but it's totally different. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like, with oh, it, God. it changed. It was fantasy. And then now it's like, I really want it to be a space faring thing that still has some of the things that original one had, but I'm like, Oh boy. I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> Look, you know, you know I'm ready to read whatever you write, so I'm yes. <laughs> so I would love that's after I get this raggedy novel draft into an okay place. That is the thing I'm so excited to jump into, and I just have such a strong image of it in my mind and what drives 
the characters in it. And like, I just can't wait to bring it to life because it just feels, I don't know, it just, it feels exciting. It feels fun. And in preparation, I've been like listening to um, physics YouTube shows about Mm. like how astrophysics works and I'm not trying to make it hard sci-fi necessarily, (laughs) but like just even knowing like what a primordial black hole is. I didn't know what that was like three months ago. So it's just been like fascinating to to like start to whet my appetite for the story and like feed it a little every night, even if I'm not working on it. And like maybe that's maybe that's like my if I had to give like advice, like even if you can't get to your dream project yet, like finding a little way to feed the flame for it if you can, like, can be helpful because it's getting me through. I keep thinking, like, I'm going to get to it. And when I do, I'm going to have all this information. I'm going to be ready. Right. So, yeah. Ah, that's awesome. I love hearing about your project. So it was not cheating at all. Um, <laughs> hey, Brent, before, right. you, before you get to the last question, is, yeah. it, is it our typical last question? It's our typical last question. Okay, yeah. so before we do that, um, Jen, do you mind throwing hmm. out where people can find you, internet stuff, Twitter handles, Instagram, where, you know, website, whatever people can find you before we get to this last question, because I love ending the episodes after the last question. So, okay. Yes. So folks can find me. Um, if you hit up my website, it's just gencbrown.com. Um, that has my Twitter, it has my Insta and it's got all of my stories and work. And I love when people uh, engage on Twitter. Um, that's where I am usually more so than Insta. I am on Insta, but it's just going to be pictures of my cat. So, you know, <laughs> pick, <laughs> pick your poison. Uh, but yeah, go to my website, hit me up. That's where I can be found. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. So now drum roll for the last question. So we asked this of everyone that comes on the show. And it's the question that derives from um, the title of the podcast, Just Keep Writing. So my final question for you is, what keeps you writing? Ooh, yes, I love ending with this. Um, I think what keeps me writing, is, it's funny because it's going to be hard to say, but maybe y'all will feel it because I, I think maybe other writers feel this. But I write for that moment that something starts to click. I write for that indescribable feeling when I'm working with a story and it is like the misshapen clay that I'm trying to mold into something, into that image of it that was in my mind. And so far, every draft of something has eventually reached a place where it clicks into place and I get emotional reading it. And I'm the I'm very hard on my work. Like I tend to think most of it is like garbage until it's not, which is all imposter syndrome. I know, I know, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> but when I like I know a story is done and ready to sail off into the sea and the little message in a bottle for whoever finds it when that feeling hits. I write when I write for that feeling of the story has come alive on the page in as close of a way as I could get it to what what it was when it was alive in my head. And it doesn't mean it always looks the same because it rarely does, but sometimes what's on the page is better. And it reminds me to like keep pushing. Like it takes a lot of rough like real raggedy drafts to get to that clicking point. And I can't even describe what it is. It's not a word count. It's not, um, it's a feeling. It's an intuitive thing that as I write more and get more familiar with my own work, my own limitations, my own strengths, 
when I really put out something that is like the best I could do and it is and it's moving me and I'm seeing what this character is going through and I'm feeling it. That's all I can ask for. And so I, I think I chase that feeling because every time I hit it, then I need it again. It's like a dopamine rush. So the next project becomes that thing that I'm going to try to push through to reach the point where the story just hits me. So that's what keeps me writing. I know that's kind of a weird thing to be chasing, but like I just, nah. that's what no, keeps me in it. No. No, that's awesome. Uh, I love that answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. It's wonderful to meet you. And I hope we can do this again. Thank you so, yes, so, so, so much. Thank you both so much. <laughs> thank you. No, I'm so happy we got to do this. This yeah, is a great way. Sure. This is going to be a great way to kick off Black History Month. So I love it. Exactly. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.